hear that? Silence. Yeah, the sound mm. of silence. What's up? Hello. Episode S- 66. <laughs> Movie schmooze. Evens. I love Coming at you. Double six. Is there, is there a name for double six when you're when you're playing dice? Um, no. Is there some cool name? So. Damn it! I should have known that. It's the yeah, opposite. Snake it's, eyes. It's the opposite of snake eyes. Yeah. What is that like? Uh, snake eyes is one on each die. It's fly yeah. eyes. It's yeah. what? Fly <laughs> eyes. Fly eyes. Like Spider eyes. There we go. Damn. I like that's that. good, John. That is really good. So yeah, episode sixty six. What's going on? A little bit of a break. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry about that. We've been missing weeks left and right lately, Steve. What's up? Life, man. Life. Life Life. life, life happens. Yeah. Can't stop it. Adult life, right? Adult. 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 Mm, so, yeah, this is going to be a fun episode. It is. We're going to be talking about Funny a couple of movies shit, that we've been me. really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. One is currently available on video on demand, mm-hmm. and one is now currently available in pretty much every theater in the country. Movie demand. Most, most of the also by demand. You do have to yeah. you do have to ask for a ticket. Yeah, you do have to. Um that's a good point, John. Yeah, yeah thank you mm-hmm. for clearing that mm-hmm. up. Damn it. You're so smart tonight, John. Uh but but first, before we get into those, we're gonna kinda couple hot topics we're gonna talk about. A trailer that we've all watched and I think we can all agree we've Oh, yeah, for. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's then, uh, the new Ryan Gosling joint. Or more accurately, the new uh, Nicholas Vending Refn. There you go. All joint. right. Yeah, right. More accurately, the new <laughs> Kristen Scott Thomas. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just kidding. It is kind of a, oh, oh her, you know, yeah. like I sort of forgot. I, I saw her, her, I'm like, that that is her, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Right, I, I right. questioned myself, and then I yeah. saw her name pop. I was like, okay, good, I'm not going crazy. But did we say the name of the film? No, no, go ahead, John. I get to? Yeah, do it. Only God Forgives. Mm. 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 What's so, interesting about that movie is it was just a poster for a very long time. And and before that, it was just that one, sh- well, which became the poster, which was that shot of just his yeah. face, like, mangled. It's beaten Like, the publicity shit. still like, came out, like, last year. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, this is gonna be fucking good. You can tell, you can tell that it was made on like a shoestring budget, though. Like in, in like for for what it is, like it looks like it's gonna be beautiful. It looks like it's gonna be amazing. But it, it's one of those movies that doesn't need a high, a crazy budget and will still succeed. Like Drive, like Drive was a person in a car. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't too many explosions. <laughs> you know that it it wasn't too high end. I'd say in terms of the pizzazz i mean in that way well i thought the uh trailer for only god forgives i thought it visually looked like oh it's beautiful really like kind of almost flamboyant you know and it's like visual style it was really, i mean i felt drive drive felt a little flamboyant this feels way more flamboyant though you're right though it, but it i feel like it wasn't it probably wasn't that exp- how much did you have a number three and a half million three and a half million dollars that is not very much at all I mean, I'm just t- saying yeah. in terms of... No, that's true. Wow. That's a lot less than I thought. I thought you were going to say 10 or something like nope, that. Nope, I just said three and a half. <laughs> he probably made it work. It looks like it's going to be incredible. Yeah. I'm, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited for this film. Just, he's so excited he's hitting hit my the microphone with his nose. <laughs> D- does it strike you as odd that Gosling still doesn't have a, like, a lot of lines? Like, is it going to be very minimal? Well, who can tell one? from the trailer? Like, you know. I've I read an interview with the director, and it, it, it does. he did say that it's kind of like a continuation of Drive. Like, that whole, not the same world, but, like, the, the, the type of storytelling that he uses. And uh, everything is very heightened, and you can definitely see that in the trailer. But um, Is there a release date for this movie? No. I know. It's like releasing TBA. in Thailand first or something like that was, is what I was reading. Um, and then coming to the States or something weird like that. I think in, I think July is what I've read online okay. at some point. Also very weird is that trailer came out very recently, but I've seen like on on uh, YouTube, there were clips of that trailer months ago. Just little clips like there'd be a, a clip <laughs> of him like in front of all the people kind of getting yeah. ready to fight. And then like. There was something of him speaking to the lady, uh, the villain in the movie. Like I, I, I just not sure how that kind of leaked, but it looks finds a way. So good. My biggest problem with this film is um, why Ryan Gosling looks so damn good in a suit, <laughs> even when he's fighting and about to fight. He takes it off, got that vest on. Fuck. 
Yeah, man. He just makes me look so much worse. He's like, what do you I call know. those skinny suits? Like, his they're like slim very fitting, slim fit. Slim like, he definitely has a tailor of some sort. Yeah, so slim. But I mean, fitting. like, you just get that kind of perk when you get to his level. Even right. even in a movie where he probably plays somebody that isn't at that level, but you know, it's a movie, so yeah, you know, he's got people. He's gonna look incredible in that. Fucking crazy, stupid love and saving women on the street of New York and God damn him being yeah, Mormon. Man. I wonder if Franco, I wonder if Franco, Mickey Mouse Club. Let's just yeah, keep going. Right, yeah. Franco wants to like knock him off the face of the earth because he's the only one that equals who? James. Who? James Franco. Oh. oh, thanks. You thought I'd call him James Fuckoff? No, I thought I heard you what you said. I was trying to make. Oh, like he doesn't matter when you're talking about Ryan. I know, Gosling. man. It's like I feel like until Gosling does. Gosling a, is the only person until Gosling does a of, stint on a daytime soap. He's got nothing on Franco. Like, he's apparently like what retiring degree? or something. Yeah. Or a random degree. Isn't he retiring after he this movie or after after he directs the film that he's like his director? Yeah, di- director debut, whatever that's called. Like something about monsters. But it's also got like I read somewhere where he's it, Christina Hendricks is playing the lead in it, and yeah. she's like a woman with like a sexual fetish or something. And I just oh, thought to myself wow, like. Okay, if you're Ryan Gosling and you write like a woman with a sexual fetish, you get to, you get to call up Christina Hendricks. You know, right. it's like the you're like the one person who she won't be creeped out by. Right. Like, like I said, oh, he looks we'll, good in a suit. We'll yeah. do. Yeah. She's like, we'll do. I absolutely will yeah, right. get naked in this movie. <laughs> who knows though? Maybe you know. Maybe her fetish is like, maybe she's one of those chicks that like stomps on guys nuts with like high heel <laughs> oh, shoes no. on or something. You know, field goal kicks them. Might not be one of our favorite fetishes. You know? <laughs> But yeah, it looks, it looks good. It does look good. It's weird that it's, it doesn't have a release date attached to it. I, I, noticed, that, I, noticed I don't, that I don't believe the, the July thing. I it's saw like that on a couple sites. nothing with it, man. Like, every time I've seen any information from legit, like, Hollywood Insider, they're like, look at this trailer. There's no date. Mm-hmm. I saw on IMDb or something that it was coming out in Thailand or somewhere in Asia, like, soon. And then okay. everywhere else, somewhere out like, later. But... It, it just no very release. informational. Thank you, Ron. No release date. Seems to follow said, oh, linear France, time. It's coming out in May, and then nothing else. Like, uh, yeah, nothing else. No, no other release date. So Denmark, Norway, Russia. Um, are you gonna read all the nations of Sweden. the world? <laughs> These are all release dates. All release dates. Nothing for America. These are all countries that have movie <laughs> theaters in them. <laughs> These are all places with people <laughs> inhabiting that country. So I don't know. Like it's not coming out. It's not listed anywhere. When does Luxembourg else. get it? <laughs> September. What about Minsk? <laughs> Bruges. So yeah, that's no no time soon for us. It seems it'll be here soon enough. Oh, so let's just rest on that. Yeah. As far as changing gears here, I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's like no, I, I feel like maybe we should have done the the sad part. Yeah, there's first. no real transition like, for this. But at the time we're recording this podcast, it has just the news yeah. has just broken that uh, Roger Ebert died today. Super sad. The end of a legacy, man. Because I I miss at the end of trailers here and Siskel and Ebert mm-hmm. rate this movie. That was usually the gauge. Like you did, it, it <laughs> got was, two thumbs up. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Well, they had two thumbs. That was the barometer. Like two thumbs up is now just part of our cultural vernacular, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and also yeah. to say that you give something two thumbs way up, that was something that you, they invented. You know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that notion of like the higher up your thumb is, <clears throat> yeah. just raise it above your yeah, head. It's and an you, exciting you know, movie. It's like the best uh, movie ever. It's sad, really sad. So, it's. Uh, I, I was reading an article about it just tonight before we were recording, and a quote Steven Spielberg released uh after finding out about the passing he said that uh that ebert was one of the nation's best known movie reviewers he wrote with a passion through a real knowledge of film and film history and doing so he helped many movies find their audience death is virtually the end of an era and now the balcony is closed forever it's a really interesting quote because i think that uh it, it a director like steven spielberg kind of you know obviously mentioning the fact that even though he had the kind of commercial success <clears throat> when you think about critics in terms of like these pop ones or these more, you know, artsy independent films, you know, it never discounted that even though he was the guy that had the TV show and that, you know, was this popular film critic that he did truly have like a, a, a real knowledge of film mm-hmm. and history. Mm-hmm. And even, even up until his passing, you know, in this past year, like still actively wrote about tons of different kinds of film, big and small. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it is really sad. And, you know, like everybody that, you know, is, a fan of film and especially of our generation you and we've already said it like their show the two thumbs up there's a lot of takeaways that you use every day or that we use every day when we talk about movies 
um, and, and what kind of shaped our experience with the movie, you know, when you go to seek out feedback from somebody that you value their opinion on prior to seeing it, you know, a lot of times it was like, you know, Cisco and Ebert when I was growing up. So it is really sad to, to, especially knowing how much of a fight he's had and how much trouble right. he's gone through yeah. <clears throat> and seeing recent pictures of him. It's, it's really hard to kind of see him like that. And, um, you know, and even just pro- two days prior, just kind of announced that he's going back in the, or was going back in to have treatment for another round of cancer that had come up. But, you know, it's really sad. Um, you got to think though, he's, you know, he's not in pain anymore and he's not really suffering. And, uh, he's definitely left a legacy that, you know, in terms of film criticism, I don't know that many even come close to it, um, in a, in a conversation about that, but yeah. definitely a, a big loss and, uh, you know, somebody that will definitely be missed. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace, Roger Ebert. So let's jump into our, our first, uh, film, the video on demand, meaning mm-hmm. you can demand it from your home as opposed to yes, the box right. office. Well, I can sit there. I've been demanding several movies from my couch that, that aren't out yet. So I walk in all the time and John's just yelling movie yeah, titles right. out from his couch and <laughs> yes. nothing happens with it. It's really awkward. It's like, what about Jurassic and Park? And his poor kid is sitting there. Like, <laughs> we'll <have> that movie. <laughs> <clears throat> but, uh, the movie that we're talking about documentary that's kind of been around the festival circuit for a bit now and you know mm-hmm. always seems to be a hot button uh it's the film room 237 uh directed by rodney asher and uh it's basically it's a deconstruction of the the shining i mean i don't know what else to really say about it beyond getting into our conversation on it but it's um really interesting how the film is laid out yeah yeah in my opinion the way that the actual story narrative goes and uh from a couple of different people, I guess, you know, that are historians of the film and really kind of had taken the time and effort to analyze it painstakingly with their theories of what the movie's really about, um, little things hidden in the film, um, whether things are just uh, continuity errors or intentional uh, messages. But regardless, a lot to think about after watching the movie. Yeah, um, I think you you shot me a text when you had seen it and I hadn't seen it yet where you said you didn't know how much kind of credit to give any of the theories. And I almost, it almost seems like the movie is a, as much about the sort of person that would look for those types of messages in a, in a piece of entertainment as it is about this particular piece of entertainment. I mean, it's That's definitely about the shining, but yeah. more it's the way that the movie is done. And I, I wouldn't want to give it away completely, but it's almost like you can't really ruin that aspect of it it's just it's a, it's assembled from footage from all of kubrick's films and various other sources sure and at no point do you really see the audio and the video really match up like you never really see a talking head it's not a, you know it's not that type of documentary i think that it is a fascinating film shining is and i think there's a lot to say about it and none of the thoughts i've ever had about the film were any of the thoughts that these theorists yeah. were having about the movie it seems like every one of them was has, at some point has done a frame by frame analysis of the film, it, you know, because th- they're finding all these weird connections and weird things that some of the stuff was kind of enlightening and interesting. Yeah. Even as I thought it was a little crazy, there's almost no way to believe that Kubrick intended all that. that and that that was probably my biggest uh, not really even an issue watching the movie, because I almost I would agree with you. I most at the end saw this movie as more of more of a experience. I guess more of a display of, of of a viewer's love for a movie that they love. Yeah. And how much time they spend making sense of beyond what's right there on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, I think, like a movie that is, you know, the subject, The Shining, a, a crazy fucking movie. Right. You know, it almost makes me like what like the people that were hearing talking about this crazy movie are also fucking crazy. Right. You know, it's like... It's almost like did the director make this movie to show how crazy the people are about a about you know what I mean like yeah yeah it almost I mean, becomes movie, like they are they are the entertainment in this documentary it's not so much about the shining I mean that's the subject but it's almost like you get really involved in hearing how far these four or five or six people take their theories and how much time and effort and like i mean some of it is is really i, I want to say impressive yeah. that they that they have it lined up so well mm-hmm. that they the way that it shows us like their ideas as they're speaking it like john said with the cuts from the film and it never really does line up but you see what they're saying and uh 
it just I I mean when I walked away I'm like there's no I I can't say that I believe that they're all right they're all wrong I don't know yeah. but I don't think that a lot of what is is being said it was intended in, right. in, in the shining that's just I'm not a professional I, I think that like I think I, I agree with that and it's I think the one thing that is true and that a lot of these people are clearly acting on is the the knowledge that Kubrick was not the type of guy who made casual choices almost at any phase in working on a movie. Right. There, sure, there wasn't sure. any, there was nothing, Ax- that was, yeah. there was nothing accidental. That doesn't mean that continuity errors weren't possible. It's just, they seem really unlikely under someone like Kubrick that you would have some of the type, like if some of that stuff was unintentional, it's pretty unlikely to me that Kubrick would, would have not noticed, for instance, that certain aspects of the set uh, were, were kind of dreamlike, like the way rooms lead into other rooms. Like you'll have a tracking shot where you follow Jack Nicholson from one part of the hotel to another, and then you'll see the same, like a, a different, like a different vantage point from the same trip. You know, he goes from that space back to the other space, and things won't line up. Like the way rooms connect and the way doors are. Like sometimes that seems like that could just be. Well, this is the movie that they found in the editing room, and some of that was didn't mean anything. But the whole movie is about the way this hotel has this character. Yeah, now that stuff. So I can believe that that was that that yeah. was part of the game for Kubrick. Yeah, I agree with. But you. I don't think there's a specific hidden message that you're not getting from the movie. In fact, I think one of the things that makes that movie so unique is the fact that it is it does kind of use a sort of nightmare logic to it. You know that at the end, you have an explanation in your head of what happened, but you don't really the movie doesn't really explain to you what's going on in the movie. Mm. So the fact that these other people think that they've that they've hit upon it. I mean, without spoiling any of their theories, it definitely takes a certain leap of faith to, to like, there's a point in the movie where the woman's describing a poster uh, in the background in one of the scenes that she says uh, is supposed to look like a skiing a, a, a poster, or a picture of a skier, um, <laughs> but that she actually believes it's a minotaur. And she goes into this long explanation about how it couldn't be a skier, but then when they show the shot of the poster, it so clearly is a silhouette of a skier. And what she's saying about like it being shaped like a minotaur and that like supposed to relate to the maze and all these th- all these allegories and illusions and stuff, it's like so it's, it's just patently false because you can look at the poster and you can see that it's a skier. And it's it's t- yeah. so to me that it was full of little things like that where obviously we were meant to. But you know, I will before I get too far on that thought. I don't want it, the movie's not like malicious or mean spirited about these nutballs no, or anything. No, not it's like at it all. doesn't really in fact it doesn't really it's, personify them. It just has no, their theories, you know. Totally, yeah. It doesn't really give you any facts about the making of the movie. Mm. It just deals with these people who've clearly watched it a ton of times and 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 given it a lot of thought. So it's uh and it's interesting that it's a kind of, it's a movie that I think stands up to a lot of thought. I mean it's it's Definitely, I mean, I think in in terms of the filmmaking of the documentary and also the people that are the featured, you know, kind of theorists in it, there's tons of effort, you know, like a lot of time was spent on it. I I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think the point of it, though, is to walk away and saying whether or not you think any of it's accurate. Right. I think exactly. it's totally just to be aware of how enthusiastic people are about this film and how much time was spent trying to make more sense of what what or what not, you know, Kubrick had intended for an audience to see or kind of put together. The, the Minotaur thing was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I was watching the movie with my dog, and my dog laughed. It was it was horrible. It was, horrible. was like that is. Clearly- they zoom in on the poster, and it's yeah. like she's it's clearly a Minotaur. And yeah. I'm like, what? And she's like, I'm seeing somebody skiing. Yeah, she's like, there are no ski poles, but there's a suggestion of a ski pole. I was like, no, I see two ski poles yeah. coming out of that guy's hands. <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot of like odd things like they try to like draw the connections. I mean, the the thing that you mentioned about like the, um, and you mentioned this like a YouTube thing to me a while ago. Actually, about, yeah, I was actually gonna was yeah actually like gonna about the that. actual layout of the hotel and the mm-hmm. rooms and the hallways and that I found really interesting. And that that piece of the whole theory and whatnot, I think is 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 probably the most legit. I think that was probably the most intentional piece of what uh, the filmmaker maybe had intended because of how disorienting the actual being in the hotel was to the main characters in the film, I think just as an audience kind of watching it, you know, experiencing how unpredictable things were going to be. I think that was actually really interesting and how much time she put into those maps. Well, yeah, because that's, shit, the, that's, that was the, that's the one that's the most convincing. Yeah. And the way that she approached it as like a project where she just watched the movie, she like made a little map that she evolved as she went and she would write down whenever something happened in a particular room. Mm hmm. So she would have a reference for, oh, this room, it, or the first time we see the the ghost of the two little girls, it's here. The second time is it's here. And so she was gradually able to put together kind of a, wow. a a key to what some of those inconsistencies might be. I I do think 
I do think what Steve said is dead on, though, that like it could be as simple as just Kubrick was trying to evoke that. I mean, until someone lays that stuff out for you, you might not notice that sort of unsettled feeling that you have watching that movie. I've always that movie's always given me the willies, but I haven't thought about why. And some of the stuff that these people with their theories that they're stating in this movie, some of the things that they said help put a finger on things that I've felt but not thought about. Sure. Like the, the sets to something. And um, before we get too far from the subject, the, um, you know, you can, for free, you can go on YouTube and you can uh, look up, uh, let's see, it says here, Film Psychology, The Shining, Spatial Awareness, and Set Design. Um, it's uh, a really cool sort of, analysis of the sets and the the spatial relationships in The Shining by this guy named Rob Ager, who has a site called Collative Learning, um, or Collative Learning. I'm not sure how to say that word. But um, I, I think this YouTube clip definitely gives you your, your, your cogent analysis of The Shining. The movie Room 237 is much more about, as Steve said, kind of a kind of a mania for for entertainment and for this movie in particular. Um, I mean, I don't want to just be one more person who's kind of in the cult of Kubrick because that's right. what this movie really made me think about was really there are very few directors you could do this with because most other directors, it would be apparent that those inconsistencies were accidental. accidental. But with Kubrick, you know, once you hear about him doing like 80 takes of Tom Cruise walking through a door and eyes wide shut, you know that he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, everything's just right. Mm. So in that sense, it's impossible to think that there wasn't something going on. But yeah, I don't, I bet that Kubrick would have chuckled uh, at some of these theories, because I just think that if he wanted to do a story, some of these people are claiming he was telling the story of, you know, uh, the uh, mass genocide of the indigenous peoples in in North America when when the settlers started coming over. I feel like if Kubrick wanted to make a movie about that, he would have made a movie about that. <laughs> right. Wow. You know, he wouldn't have been so oblique. What's the point of having an important message if you're going to bury it deep within your film? Um so yeah, in that sense, I think that it would you know you couldn't do this with a Michael Bay movie. No one would no one would take it seriously enough to, right, to right. analyze it. Plus, I, even if you did a frame by frame advance, I don't think you'd be able to tell what's going on in half of those Transformers movies. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it really made me want to watch The Shining, and it made me think about how much of that movie is in the look of terror that Shelley Duvall is able to conjure on her face, <sighs> and that that little kid that just. I'd be watching this documentary and there were moments where they would just show one of the scenes of Shelley Duvall looking scared or of the kid looking scared. And it made my, made my hair stand up mm. on the back of my neck sitting in my house in the middle of the day, you know? Yeah. So that movie definitely has got some kind of power. I'm not quite ready to espouse a theory about what the movie's really about, but you know, I, as far as being like a crazy fan of that film, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right there with the people featured in the documentary. So gotcha. available now. Yeah, check it out. Demand it. It's definitely worth a watch. Uh, you know, I think you'd dig it, Ronald, as well. Yeah, it's like maybe it's even more entertaining than we're making it sound. It's kind of a light, breezy. It's, movie it's very entertaining. I mean, it's just you know, it kind of keeps you. You're almost like on the edge, wanting to hear what the next connection is, and then when you hear the theories and start to see some, there's a couple of pieces that like kind of uh, interweave between a couple of different theories, and you're like, oh, well, maybe that makes sense. You're you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of like mm. you kind of start to buy into some of it, but. Definitely worth checking. Room 237, yeah, it's available now. Uh, now, the next film that we're going to talk about is um, a remake of a, of a classic, a horror classic, genre classic. Um, I don't, do you have anything you want to preface it with, John? I don't, I don't know. I know you didn't see this I film. I didn't see but the remake. I know um, of the original. Or... I, well, you know, I would, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it. I would just say that uh, this is an interesting case of a horror remake because the advanced buzz on it has been almost universally positive. Yeah. And even when it was in the sort of releasing stills and, you know, just hearing it talked about, there was this, I think there was a, a real desire on the part of like horror fans to believe that this was a movie that was going to try to legitimately scare the shit out of you and, you know, maybe have some good gore. Having not seen it, I can only ask you guys: Does it meet the Does it meet the criteria? Does it Was it scary, or was it just gory? Wasn't scary, but it was good. I mean, and I guess we can expand on that. But I, no, no, I, just say it was good, and then the podcast over. <laughs> it's, it done. was. It was. It wasn't scary. I mean, like, well, so one thing I I did mention to Steve about that movie, the original, and this new one is this the scares in quotation marks has a, a very 
intentional rhythm to to their appearance, mm-hmm. right? They they pop up in this rhythm, and once you get used to the rhythm of it, um, it's just shock at that point, which isn't the worst thing in the world because the the whole idea. I don't know if I don't know if the original intention of Evil Dead was to scare the shit out of you. So well, the, much. the first one was was it, it was, but but. I mean, I think most of the laughs in that first movie you could call unintentional. I think that, but I, but I think Sam Raimi was still Sam Raimi, but right. he was trying to make like a gory, it was scary, gory. kind of exploitative kind of movie. And I think that if you look at the tone of the first, like Evil Dead versus Evil Dead 2, mm-hmm. Evil Dead 2 is when they embraced all the slapstick. Yeah. yeah. And I would say that movie might be the movie I've seen what? more times than any other movie. One there was, was a period of time in high school where I watched Evil Dead 2 like every day after school with my friends. So I <laughs> feel like I know that movie shot yeah. for shot. Evil Dead, I had only seen once. I watched it again recently. Mm-hmm. I won't explain what exactly happened, but a week, a week ago, I thought mm-hmm. that I was going to go see a screening of the Evil Dead remake, yeah. but I had gotten bad information from Poop. a trusted friend Poop shoot. Uh, and uh, about that. but so but that day, but, but that day in in, in in preparation i watched evil dead and yeah. i was i was sort of having to remember like okay it still has a slightly campy element to it but the go- but the goal of it was still mm-hmm. to be creepy and unsettling more so than the full-on comedic right. tone well, of, of the sequel so th- this movie seems like the the remake seems like what it's trying to do and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is to take that legitimate attempt to kind of be a horror film of the first Evil Dead and just yeah. update it for today's audiences that even though I think Evil Dead has certain aspects that hold up, mostly the filmmaking, Sam yeah. Raimi, you, you cannot mistake yeah. the fact that the guy is a great craftsman and his camera work was innovative even yeah. from the start. I think so too. But I think that there's, uh, it's hard to expect a modern audience to look at the, the first Evil Dead and, it, not, it's and, exceeded, and not see it as kind of, like like you said, campy. Or, yeah, it, it had high tension. I think that's what it was. Like, I don't think it was scary so much as it the tension remained high the whole time you kind of the the ante got upped constantly and that was cool so and it was kind of there was a there was a nastiness to it and kind of uh, a mean spiritedness to it that i think that seemed to be what this new one was really trying to capitalize on is just the i think yeah i think things i think it absolutely did um did you think it was scary well, I do. I did find it scary. I don't think that it necessarily scared me as much as I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it, it definitely is more terrifying than scary. Yeah, it's, it's, you know what I mean. I think man. it's it's definitely for a major for a major studio horror film. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty fucking badass. It I mean, was. like they went out on this film. Mm-hmm. I mean. I guess, you know, I guess having a benchmark where you're having people involved like Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, people that were a part of it and know, I guess, what direction it should be headed towards, but then just guiding it towards that and allowing, you know, a new, you know, a new director to kind of put their own take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it the film is directed by, I think it's pronounced Fidi Alvarez. Um, just gory dude like blood galore you know for people that are kind of going to be waiting for um i guess the payoff moments uh, if you're fans of the original you know it, it comes later in the film but it's it's worth it i mean like yeah. the the third act is i think the strongest part of the movie and i mean usually that's where most of these films kind of fall apart absolutely um of the genre and i mean i i mean the last like 20 minutes I mean, you you kind of get the sense of like, oh, it's kind of going to wrap up and it's going to, you know, if, if, even if you haven't seen the original, you know, you kind of get a sense of, OK, this movie's going to end kind of early. You know, it's kind of yeah. it's, it's on its way out. Yeah. OK, I'm, I'm cool with it if it ends like this. But then it, it keeps going, but not in a negative way like a lot of films do. A lot of horror films kind of go on for that one last thing. Um But, man, it's just a, an assault in the last like 20 minutes of the movie. The main character, Jane Levy, um she was on the Shameless, and she was on. Uh, she's in a TV series like Suburgatory. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think she's. I thought she was pretty cool in the film. Uh, I, I really liked Lou Pucci, Lou Taylor Pucci. I guess he goes by now. Um, but I was a big fan of it, man. I yeah. thought it was really awesome. Uh, I think it goes much more. Uh, I, I almost kind of hold Evil Dead in that same way that you were kind of like suggesting Ron did, like where it kind of feels really campy because I didn't see it again until mm-hmm. like you know. We're talking like the mid '90s, you know. Um, and it, well, I mean, it, I think it's campy, but I don't think that. Whereas Evil Dead Two was was leaning into the slapstick. I don't yeah. think the first one 
I think that it's like in a weird way, it's one of those weird movies where I don't think that it's it. If you enjoy it because you're kind of laughing at it, I don't think that's wrong. I think it allows. It's that kind of movie that's not meant to be taken seriously. But clearly, the goal of Raimi in that first movie was to make more of a straightforward horror yeah. film than to make a you know than to do like a, a genre mix like like what he would do later with it. So yeah, I, I think it just seems like it. This is much more of just a tried and true like horror, like just dare you it like dares you to try to not look away yeah. you know what i mean like there are scenes in this film like like again for a major studio like to get this r rating i mean there are scenes that are i mean just well it was originally people like you know you're looking around the audience and including people in my group of friends that saw it with ron and yeah. i mm-hmm. like you know basically having their hoods reverse pulled over their face for like a good three minute segment where it just it gets, you know, it just keeps going. It's mm-hmm. crazy. And uh, crazy. it gets really intense. And I mean, some of the scenes are in some of the trailers, but one specific one is not. And I think it's, I mean, um, it's I like, they, I hope they don't show it. Like, that's the thing. I hope they don't show it during the course of the trailers. The trailers. Well, the so, one, know, the one scene they show, like when she kind of splits her tongue mm-hmm. in, the, in the, when the one teaser of the trailer. Yeah. But the one that I'm referencing is actually like the first like kill scene, um, of the group of friends. Yeah. Um, I think that they, wow. Yeah. Well, the original it was originally rated NC seventeen. That's the thing that I'd heard, and yeah. then they had to like edit it a bit down to R. This is a real miscellaneous fact about this movie. So, Ash, the character Ash, isn't called Ash in the movie. It's his name is David. Um, but so he's not Ash then. So David, Eric, Mia, Olivia, Natalie, all spells demon. It's mm. fucking amazing. That they wow. Did that. Amazing that they did that. Little miscellaneous fact about that movie. Um, one thing I did really like about the the fact that that guy was not named Ashley Ash or whatever is that um, it didn't force you to look at this guy as the the hero. And it, what it did was, if you, if you watch it, it kind of distributes the pain a little more than the first one did. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like... It's very apparent in the beginning of the, the the first one that Ash was the star of the movie, and I think that the yeah the I, cool play I on, agree with that. the cool play on this one is like everybody's kind of there. There's no main character really. Have you heard the the sort of rumors the uh, the like uh, supposedly Sam Raimi is is now writing uh, Army two? of Darkness two yeah. or Evil Dead four depending on how you look at it, and then the. The director and the team behind this movie are already looking at making a sequel to it, and then after those two movies, that there would be another movie, a seventh movie that would tie together both Evil Dead series. Wow, like that—that's something that Bruce Campbell and Raimi both were kind of quoted as talking about. The only thing that worried me was that the story broke on Monday this last week, which happened to be April Fool's Day. Uh, but oh. but it was still being reported a couple days later. You know what I mean? It was still being quoted right, back right. to. So unless they played a joke, which I don't see why they would do that, because that just seems like why, you know. But to me, that's really interesting. D- does it feel like the universe of this movie could be folded into the universe that the original ones took place in? <laughs> wow, what a question. Um, I mean, I guess, of course, if they have an idea, they might have a way to do it. But still, that. I mean, I, I, I think there could. Yeah, I think they could do that. I mean, because the way that they tell the way that the whole the demon works in this film is a little different than if memory serves than yeah. the way it works in the original movie, because in the original film, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. doesn't it aren't there separate demons possessing each one of them? It's a little unclear. Yeah, it's, it's a little unclear. It's, it's as though it's as though there's something in the woods that they sort of call upon, yeah. and it kind of descends on the house. And it's never really made clear whether it's one entity or whether it's a host of entities. But you do see multiple people possessed. You've seen the original. You see these things set up the way they originally were set up, and then you're not sure how they're going to end. Like some of them play to that, mm-hmm. and some of them veer away totally. Because I saw it like the morning that I saw Evil Dead. So there, there are a lot of. You like, saw the original, the original before the, the, the remake. Yeah, yeah. I saw the original in the morning, and then I uh, saw the the new one. So there's a lot of plays on that whole, like you think it's going to be one thing, then it's not at all, sort of thing, um, which I really enjoyed. It's like in the original, they're like, you know, the house isn't going to let you leave, but the the play on that is they didn't want. The play on that was she was going through the addiction and they didn't want to let her leave the house. Right. So her reaction to leaving the house 
was kind of like they had to counter it. Like you, you're, you, we're trying to treat you. You have to. Yeah, stay. They were holding, not really giving anything away, but they they allude to her having basically overdosed and and officially died, and they brought her back to life. You know, and this was like the end all. They're like, we cannot let her leave this house. Like we are holding her here, and a lot of the behavior is explained initially as just withdrawal. Which is not you know, interesting. So often in a horror movie, that's what you want the movie to do. We talked about this a little bit a while back with regards to like cell phones. I think right. we talked about this yeah. anyway, how you kind of have to show the person drop their cell phone in the puddle yeah. or show that like, you know, there has to be some explanation for why these people are in a situation that they can't just get out of. Right. And so I think in this case, yeah, it's like, I don't care what reason I'm out in the middle of the woods at a cabin. If things start getting fucked up, I'm probably going to say, well, let's, how about we get out of here? Yeah. You know, so yeah. like giving them a reason to stay that feels motivated is is a smart idea. Yeah. Because really, otherwise, this movie, it, that's the other thing I was wondering. Does it play, like, if, you, if you're if you a new audience member to this film, you know, let's assume that most people that are the audience for this film weren't born when the first one came out. Um, is that audience going to see this kind of cabin, I, this cabin in the woods type storyline? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Cabin in the Woods, yeah. the movie was commenting on the glut of this type of story. Sure. Mm-hmm. Is it, Does this occupy that post cabin in the woods world of of we all sort of know what we're looking at or does it go in the other direction and just try to like take this concept that could be seen as tired the teens at in the isolated cabin and does it just throw itself into it or does it do you know what i mean does it does it does it seem to be in any way like kind of tweaking the genre of horror the way that something like cabin in the woods I, I, was i don't think it tweaks it but uh, what it what it, yeah, what's so. refreshing about it to me is that so one of the things that bothers me about horror films now are that they feel a little pansy. They feel a little like they restrain the, the the violence, the violence. So I like violence in movies. I, you know what I mean? I like when a, a, a person gets, you know, bludgeoned and all that stuff. But in movies, the, in movies. But what it, what was interesting about this is that it feels like it's not. It's not, it's tireless. Like, it feels like, oh, my God, like, this is getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And it gets, it's pretty relentless. And I think that's really cool about it. Like, you see a lot of movies and it feels like, it's, it feels a little watered down. Like, I, through whatever reason, for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like it's it's pushing the way it should. Well, half and, the time horror movies are PG-13, so you know right. from, the, from the point the lights darken that you're not right. really going to see anything too gruesome. The, there are parts in this movie where you feel like the camera should turn. Like, it's like, please turn the camera. Like, That's this what is I mean. Like, it, it, it's, like, it's like the moments that it kind of is daring, where you normally get that relief, where you're like, yeah. okay, I don't have to look away because I can stick with <laughs> right. it. Yeah. You kind of do, if you don't, if you can't deal it with <laughs> yeah. it, you got to look away. You have to. It's, it's kind of those things. Yeah, it's like, you, it's normally it's like a showdown between you and the movie. Exactly. Like, I'm going to keep looking at this because I'm made of strong Stronger stuff every now and then yeah a movie will like linger so long on something that i'm like okay this now i'm now i'm like one of those people who wants to cover their eyes when they see something yeah. like that. but i would go i'd probably go with I, I don't think it's a i don't think it's a playoff of cabin in the woods like but where you know it's what really i'm saying about change. like once a movie like that comes out it almost seems like it changes like the next movie that tries to do that scenario has a different task than it did before that because you've seen a movie that's like blown apart the genre the way Cabin in the Woods does. And you're saying this movie just tries to, it just digs in deep and tries to be just a say that. movie. It's, I was going to just say that. It digs in and just kind of commits to what is a tried and true genre mm-hmm. film. Um, I think the other positive see, thing... See, I think that, I like that. Uh, frankly, yeah. frankly, I don't want to see movies, you know, I was entertained by Cabin in the Woods, but I don't want to see movies feel like Every time you do a horror movie now, you have to somehow comment on the genre. I like yeah. the idea of just a good. I would, I would definitely say that then. Yeah, I think I, I honestly think you're gonna really like it. I'm curious. To get well, some I mean, I, you and I share a certain like horror is sort of at yeah. the top of the for whatever reason. It's like yeah, they're fun movies to watch. Totally. There's a ton of them. I had a blast watching this movie. It so was, was it was, great with the crowd. Was oh yeah, oh yeah. Would you say so, Ronald? Oh man, people went bonkers for a lot of the stuff that yeah. was happening. Like, I mean, I think, and in the right ways. Yeah, you know, like kind of like cheesy moments or like you know, kind of oddball, fil- you know, oddball laughs. You were, you know, you were. They were hitting right. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a couple moments that maybe just seemed a little odd. I would say my biggest criticism, and I said this immediately leaving the film, is that I mean, and this may be a victim of the genre. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's just the script was probably my biggest issue. Like, just lack of lack of like. I don't want to say genuine, but like dialogue that goes beyond 
um, the template of a, of, a, of a film like this, which is uh, which is like what Cabin in the Woods is kind of talking about, which mm-hmm. is when you're digging in like this film, I think does, you know, I guess maybe the one thing you would try to change after a film like Cabin in the Woods is maybe to have a better script or a more well developed yeah. script. But wouldn't what didn't didn't it kind of stand out to you in moments like that there could have been an opportunity to go more into, you know, in in the moments that you you kind of always see in these kinds of films, like to kind of in, increase the dialogue, you know, or kind of make it a little more substantial. Yeah. If you're well, showing me that like there's so much gore, there's so much of this, it it, it would throw me off guard almost mm-hmm. if you had me a little more invested in what was being said and what's going on with these this character development kind of yeah. stuff. Well, the, that was replaced with heavy emphasis on the increase in the mythology behind oh, everything. Yeah. So that's what it was. Like the the lack of dialogue and shit mm-hmm. went towards explaining really going into the meat of what this thing what really the was. was. Like what it really was, what it what the effects of it were what it really represented for the group and all that stuff. That shit, that did not happen in the first one. Mm-hmm. And when you see it happen in the, the second one, you're like, man, like, but he's right. Like there, there's something, uh, there's something I really enjoyed about the campiness about the first one, but the dialogue actually was better in the first one in a lot of ways. Like there was something really cool about the friends going out to have fun and drinking and, having a great time it almost, in the first it, one and it, it, and it gets lost in the second one it almost seems that sometimes when when i think these like i don't know not that i know anything about script writing or mm-hmm. you know claim to be a screenwriter mm-hmm. but it's almost something that like when these films what i look for a lot of times especially in in like these kind of cabin in the wood whatever horror films is um like the moments when they're presented when these characters are presented with these moments i'd almost want to hear them say more realistic lines. You know, I know that's very like, it's not news to anybody, you know, that's not like some groundbreaking revelation just made, but like you, you expect to react someone in the film to react in a way that you or someone else would maybe not in action, but at least in the words that they're saying, because in the action, it might change the movie. It may not, we might not have the film that we, that we came and paid to see, Yeah, but it's just in the words, somebody just to express something more realistically at times and, and to say the things that, you or me would say in in that moment like the conversations that he has with his sister about their mother and you know where he was when all this stuff happened and his absence the brother and sister in the film you know there's there's so much more that could have gone on there that would have made me care about them Mm -hmm. their relationship together and you know why he was even there to help her to begin with not that it matters in the grand scheme of the movie, but I think that, you know, a movie that went all out like this one did, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the movie, even after, even with this complaint. I mean, it's sad that what you're saying is it would be really innovative if this was a well-written horror film. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that's like, it. that's one of the sad things about the genre is you sort of, you take the good with the bad, you know, and you go, well, all right, uh, or I should say you take the bad with the good. Um, because you're, you know that, well, I'm going to sit through some subpar acting and character development to get to these scares. Yeah. You would like to think that that would be the first thing you would try to remedy. Um, I read somewhere that they did a lot of, uh, like a lot of practical effects versus oh, yeah. CG. Did you feel the difference? Like, oh, was it yeah. a little oh, bit yeah. more visceral? Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, yeah. that, that goes along with the comment about the camera not cutting away. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there are some dismemberment scenes that just, uh, the practical effect is absolutely valuable, mm-hmm. you know, it, in, in making you uneasy with what you're watching. Why is that something that it's like backwards? Why is like, that the exception? Yeah. Why is that the exception? Like it looks so good. Now they're at a point now where like you can make things look real. Why is that not practical? Well, I would more? say why why not use the best of like practical effects and dish, digitally clean it up a little yeah, like just enhance like it. just just yeah. just use digital to get rid of wires and to yeah, get rid of puppeteers yeah. hands and things like that but like yeah. why not use the best of both to kind of complement each other yeah. so like that's one thing that yeah i found that heartening when i heard that that it, it they were downplaying the cgi in this and that the were, blood was you know it was actual like you know red caro syrup on the set yeah. that they're oh, that they're, it there was tons there was of scenes blood. where like it it was like a hydrant going off. Like it was like that much. Gore. The entire screen was red. <laughs> like it's like the last 10 dirty, minutes. Dirty. Dirty. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. 
I may like, be making time to see this uh, at an early showing tomorrow. Just because, yeah, I, honestly, uh, man, I was a huge fan. Like, I walked out really satisfied. Again, something that was built up pretty high from general critic responses. Friends of mine that saw it in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, I I just heard so many good things about it, and you know, yeah. hearing that about a horror film really gets me excited. And um, definitely, definitely one of the better ones I've seen recently. And if, I, I will absolutely see it again. I felt the I felt. The way I felt when I saw High Tension is the same way I felt after it was over. Just like, oh, man, what did I just watch? Like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, it, it It was so glory. You don't walk out, like, like with, with, with High Tension, like, you don't, like, really walk out frightened. Right. Or, like, or, like scared like you were saying at the beginning of this of this conversation. It's more so, like, what you just experienced was very... It was tense. Well, yeah, it was very like I don't know. I think terrifying is the yeah, more the word. Really, like, I don't know. Really, it doesn't like, it doesn't work out. You don't walk out scared or like uneasy about the film or about yeah. life right now. It's just more like that was like that was brutal. Well, um, I Sam Raimi used the word to describe the Evil Dead movies, and then he used it again to describe uh, um, Drag Me to Hell. And I don't know if this is a phrase he coined or if he's just using something that already existed but a spooka blast is what he Dude, called that, this type that's, of film that's that's pretty good yeah. and and when i yeah that's what i was hoping for from this type of movie it's like it is it's designed to you sit down the lights go dark this movie's going to give you some jolts then the lights come up and you can just kind of you can say it, that was fun disconnect yeah get back to your get back to your life definitely I would re- yeah, I would definitely recommend the movie. Same. Uh, whether or not you've seen the original, you know, it may it may benefit some people who haven't. I mean, you just go check it out as a standalone. But even for fans, I think of the of the original diehards of the of the cult. What did the diehard movies have to do with this? Um, good point. <laughs> the diehard cult following of the original film. Let me rephrase that. I think we'd all be satisfied with it, honestly. And it's got pretty good reviews so far. Like Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's like in the sixties or seventies. So, which is pretty good for. Yeah, a major horror. studio horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Evil Dead's in theaters. See it and don't only see it. Make sure you stay for after the credits. Oh, you've oh, warned okay. me. I've given you a heads up. I don't think you did. I, I you, heard. You out. I heard. There's it. A, I, I came there's in one right. last shot of Liam Neeson and the wolf yeah. after the credits. <laughs> he, he lives. <laughs> yeah, oh, this I meant to say this too. So I read this. This uh, I'm on this site. Uh, it's called 10 Things You Probably Didn't Know About Evil Dead. The number, the number five, sixth one, is that there were three unofficial Italian sequels to Evil Dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. La Casa, La Casa 2, and then La Casa 3, mm. which makes me want to see La Casa 2. There, um, it's one of my favorite Mexican restaurants. Yeah. Four has David Hasselhoff in it. Yeah. I don't know. What That's the, strange. And there's a fifth. Wow, that's fun. Jeez. Tell you what, Ronald, your assignment is to watch all those movies. <laughs> I'll watch all the like. I want to say something really quick because you just completely distracted from what I was trying to say about the post credit scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes back to what you mentioned earlier about trying to tie the. Oh, okay. It makes me feel like they may be trying to do that. It could just be a little wink, haha, like, you know, to mm-hmm. the to the hardcore fans, but. I think that, you know, if they do try to do that, it may be an opportunity for them to say, hey, well, we did have something happening at the end of this movie. That's what makes it seem like maybe they've had that planned sort of. The conversation has been had. It's a little obvious. Because it seems strange to me that the first time we get any real confirmation of Sam Raimi, because for years he's been talking about whether he would or he wouldn't or, you know, it seemed like it wouldn't happen. But for them to finally kind of confirm this summer, you know, uh, Sam Raimi and his brother, Ivan. Ramey, who has written several yeah. of his movies with him, they're going to apparently work on the script for what they're calling Army of Darkness 2. Right. So to me, that tells you a little something about what the tone of it would be, theoretically, that it maybe would be if, you know following through on more of the kind of like over-the-top adventure of the third movie. But uh, no, I, you know, I, I just have such affection for... For not just, I mean, in general, I still like Sam Raimi, but those movies were so important to a key part of my life as mm-hmm. a sure. as a movie buff. Yeah. That I, uh, I, uh, and on top of it being a horror thing, I'm yeah, I'm I'm unusually optimistic about this remake. I normally I, I wouldn't wouldn't have been wouldn't have been sad to miss a screening of it, but in this case, I was. I felt it there when you guys were at the screening the other night. I was. Well, you like, have to check it out. I wonder if they're jumping in their seat right now. I wonder if they're, <laughs> hold, I wonder if they're holding hands right now. <laughs> you need to check it out. No, we'll well, I definitely about it. will. Yeah. In theaters everywhere. Evil Dead. And you can all you, you have but to de- <laughs> you have but to demand it. Room 237. Just sit on your couch 
and shout room 237. <laughs> I want it now. So what, what, what do we have coming up next week? What's... What, gonna, I think we're gonna do a, a theme show, Steve. Okay, cool. One of mm. our one of our famous theme shows that all eleven of our listeners are are fond <laughs> of. It goes over really well. What we're gonna talk about next week, I think, is we're gonna talk about some of those movies that the rest of the world loves and seems to agree is a great film, but that mm. we personally feel kind of out on a limb. It's like a good mm. piece of pizza. Yeah, movies a, we should love but don't. With Got a it. Fly on the cheese. That's what. What? Ronald, you keep talking yeah, over go, there. We'll think, we'll think of a better. We'll one. finish up this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got I, I got to work on that, man. That's gonna be tough. I know you, you mentioned that last. I got to think of some movies. Collect a list. I think I could come up with a list of five to eight of those. <laughs> so let's say let's say let's say a list of five, and then John will have ten. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, so make sure you guys tune in next week. We'll, we'll we'll probably go over. We'll probably basically be bashing a lot of your favorite movies. Yeah. So no more reason to listen mm. than that. I mean, because that's just gonna be a blast. We'll try not to go too negative. Though. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll yeah, keep... yeah, healthy balance. That's yeah. what it's all about. All right, guys. Anything else to throw in there? No, nothing this week, Ronald. Mm-mm, all right, I can think of. All right, cool. Maybe, maybe next week, or sometime soon. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> we have to have enough sound bites for next year's. Yes. Uh, best oh, yeah, of yeah. Ronald being sexually inappropriate. Ronald, if I ever be. find you contriving a Ronald digression. <laughs> I think you know what the door is. <laughs> I can't think of anything right now. Yeah, see, I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to. I don't want you to fake it. Don't, don't give it to them. Let let them let let the yeah. listeners hold. You know, wait patiently or impatiently for the next episode. Yeah. For a for a bomb. episode, maybe 67, 68. I don't know. Maybe you come up with something special. Somewhere special. in the 60s, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, the maybe the uh, last. In the 60s before we get to the 70s. Who knows? I have a feeling that's going to be, be a, a fun episode. going to be a rough episode. <laughs> Maybe we need to come up with a theme for that episode. We'll have to figure out <laughs> what that might be. Well, until then, this has been episode 66 of the Movie Movie Podcast. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, as always, you've made our day. Good night.